This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Hi, so <laughs> waiting for the rabbi to, to start. Who's who's reading the questions, Rabbi Jacobs or uh, Rabbi Rosenblum? Who who do we have? Rabbi Rosenblum said he wanted the honor. Okay, mm-hmm. well, I didn't see him. I didn't uh, see him. How are you today? Baruch Hashem, how's everybody? <laughs> what are, are they learning any particular Gemara or Sukkah? Sukkah. Oh, we don't know. Well, everybody no, knows I it. Know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody else knows they're learning sukkah. They don't know the sukkah they're learning. The, the uh, everyone's everyone's getting through sukkah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much. Okay. You got the question. I do. Okay. Wow. Rabbi Lopiaski, Shkoyach, we're coming. Our area is blessed with a lot of people from Chon Yaakov and the Chon Shlomo that come, so it's a, it's, a, it's a very special occasion to be here. We, our, our area has absorbed and grown a lot from a lot of the graduates from here and so on, so Baruch Hashem. We had, as, as always, the guys submit their questions, sort yeah. of uh, edited, ordered, etc. Okay. Jack had called them here, and he's okay. going to uh, Fine. do the, the, the questioning. Here. Okay. Uh, question number one. If I still have doubts about the literal, literal truthfulness of Torah, yet I see the wisdom behind it in so many areas, how should I proceed, and why not just grab onto the parts with which I agree and leave the rest behind? So... There's really two parts of the question. In other words, when you're speaking about belief and knowledge and so on, you're talking about um, the proof, so to speak, behind Torah, or the understanding that it's it's correct or divinely ordained. And then you're speaking about what you ought to do. So let's let's divide up the question to two. Torah itself really doesn't have its meaning without understanding it as being divinely ordained. In other words, if someone is to take the Torah as a book that has a lot of wise things, and I will keep what's wise and not keep what's not wise, what I think is not wise, then I'm basically, in a sense, taking out the core of what it is. More than anything else, it's an understanding of something which is not really our province. And let me, and let me explain this point. I, I want to elaborate a bit because it's important. When we ask ourselves what is good um, with a capital G, 
There is no answer within this world, within this world meaning within anything I could think of, that really defines it I- in a way that, that, that distinguishes it from other forms of good. There's good that's pleasant, like peppermint tea, we'll see in a minute if it meets that criteria. <laughs> that's one type of good. And a second type of good is effective. What's the best way to manufacture something? What's the best way to run a business? That's quite objective. Those two goods. So when someone says, what's a good way to run a society? So it could mean comfortable. So maybe the government giving me my, my you know, money, whether, whether I do anything or not, might be the most comfortable way of living. Is being effective, capitalism might be much more effective but none of them applies to the concept of moral good. Moral, the, the, the idea of morality, we relate to it, w- we deeply believe in it. The biggest atheist feels that way, but there's no way to translate moral, oh, poor Rabbi uh, Rosenblum has been the court of God, a, a rare... Uh, <laughs> 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 I said... Uh, Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did I ask any questions? Well, <laughs> Did you ask the questions? I assume all of them are yours, Rematsio. <laughs> nev- no one has ever taken credit for them except for you, so I assume. Uh, this one's mine. What? Well, this one's yours. <laughs> 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 you know, in, in Jewish halacha, criminal cannot admit guilt. You know, it doesn't, doesn't stand in court when you admit guilt. So you, you, it's halacha, but you, you're off the hook. <laughs> Um, so so l- let's let's talk about because I, I think it's an important point and and I, I really want to talk about it a lot. One of the strongest, again, I don't like using the word proof, but the strongest gateways to relating to religion is as follows: every single person, atheist, one atheist, including unless psychopaths excluded, anybody else has a sense there is good, distinguished from criminal and evil. There are people that are good, there are people that are bad, and so on and so forth. We have two categories that we live with and that fit into our world. One is comfortable, one is efficient, effective. So comfortable is easy, it's a personal subjective experience that every single one of us understands, pleasant, unpleasant. There's a second level, a different type of good and bad, which is effective, ineffective. This car will get you here, won't get you here, and so on and so forth. The concept of good in the third concept that we relate to conceptually is neither of the two. Because down deep, if I sit down and say, you know, when you do something for somebody, you feel very, very good. I say it's true, but I feel much better when somebody does something for me. So, I, I, you know, if you feel better by doing something for somebody else, please, could you, could you bring me a tea? Could you get me a coffee? I'm, we'd, we'd both be very happy. If you tell me it's a much more effective world, all the pieces function much better if everybody's helping everybody else. I said, that's fantastic. I'm not interested in running the world. I'm not the CEO of the world. And I happen to have a lot more money than other people. And, and that's fine. And all the arguments in the world, you could do somersaults. It, it, the bottom line is, so what? But every single person, um, sworn atheist, feels instinctively there's something that's good and something bad. I give a lot of times a mushroom, I've said many times, I'm, I happen to be not particularly fond of heights. 
So I usually get somebody else to climb up the ladder to change the light bulb in the top of the ceiling over there. Um, it's 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 some it's it's it, I can't say it's a terrible obstacle to what I do, but it's you know it's it's an, so if somebody were to come to me, a psychologist, and say you know, um, I could give you two or three easy lessons, and you'll ditch that habit, no problems. So my only issue would be how much does it cost, and how much time will it take. But I'd be quite happy to get rid of it. As much as I don't like going up a ladder and this and that, but it, it, it's an impediment. I recognize it. Let's say a different psychologist comes here and says, listen, the reason why you're not a wealthy man is because you're too honest. And it's a psychological block. I, I will unblock it. And in two or three easy lessons, you'll be able to start swindling and doing stuff, really neat stuff, on Wall Street. And... Uh, <laughs> 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 And, and, and you'll do very well with it. I, I'll say, no, that's horrible. It's criminal. He says, no, no, that's a mindset you have. I, I will undo the mindset. It's just, it, it just it's, it's a gene. It's, it's a habit. It's, it's society has imposed it on you. So I don't even think, again, I think the, most, the, the, the biggest eighth, if he's a decent human being, will say absolutely not because we recognize it. So here we have a kind of conundrum. We have something in us, an organ in us, that recognizes um, good and bad, but I can't quantify it in anything that that relates to any other of my faculties. I, I, it doesn't feel any way, it's not more effective, and so on. And the answer is yes, there is something else, we'll call it morality, and it is something that exists within a different context than the context we exist, but we have a, a sense, and we'll call it a conscience, that feels it. So, it, it, on the one hand, I'm, I'm drawn to it, and it's very important to me because of that sense of, 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 of good and bad. On the other hand, to define the good and the bad, I'm going to need someone from that world to define it for me. Some of those definitions will kind of sit extremely well with me, some will sit less well. So, I in a certain sense, that's the heart and the sham of Torah. Now, on a practical level, do you have to, should you, should you wait to doing it until every piece snaps into place? No, because as long as you have a sense of it being positive, it will sort of self, um, it'll self-feed itself. We believe the more persons in the shama becomes developed and, and actualized, the more the pieces will fall into place. So the, the common experience of most everybody is that the more you get into it, the more it sits well on you, the more, the more it feels right, the more the pieces click into place. So if somebody says, if someone will ask me like a purely theoretical, ideological question, is it okay that a person do the good without believing in the Torah given by God's own? The answer is no, that's self-defeating, that, that's, that's, that's not de defining itself. If you ask me on a practical level, the answer is yes. S sitting and, and schmoozing is not going to ever convince a person. It's one of those things that the experience, together with the ideas, together with the understandings, and, and a whole bunch of other things, th that sort of makes it fit into place. So, so that's how I would answer the question. You want to read a different Rabbi Rosenblum? You, you have a different reading in the question, or, or? Yeah, yeah. The second question sort of related. 
So a it in, a, in it sort of follows. It's a good. It's a good follow question. Um, so let's let's take human relate and let's see something about it. Imagine a person has a friend. I'm sitting next to. What's your name? Yoni. Yoni. And hi. <laughs> and, and we're looking to see what we have in common. Um, he, he likes tennis. I, I don't know which way the ball swings. I have no idea. I, I, I might like Chazonis. Doesn't care for it. And so on. So if, if there's nothing in common, we're not going to have much of a friendship going. It's not going to, you know, I'll do him a favor, do me a favor, nothing going. Let's go the other way around. Uh, um, you meet somebody, and let's say you meet a young woman, and you both love tennis and music and something else and that's it so, so you're only going to go together to events that you both like but if you don't like the events you know if you don't like it or she doesn't like it you're not going to go it, even if it's very important for her very important for you that's also not a marriage that's that's convenience in other words I, if i need to go to a ball game i'll ask anybody anybody wants to go to a ball game come let's go and that's it a real relationship needs elements that have a common overlap and that should be a great part of it and then the real sense of beyond that is beyond that um, it's just like the, the type of loyalty that a family fosters is my father and myself have, we have a very strong bond because of what I felt besides as being our father what I felt his wisdom and his, and his kindness everything etc but even when he wasn't well and he needed to be taken care of, I'm there for him. S so a real relationship needs an element, those elements of very strong commonality, and then elements where I'm loyal because I believe in him, even if I don't understand this part. If God would be totally inexplicable to us, nothing made sense in any Torah, I can never say that it becomes part of me. On the other hand, if it all had to make sense, then the parts that that means that God and me is identical. I, I only listen to God when I agree with Him. S so a real cash, a real bond, is is when you have the pieces that really anchor themselves in your heart and soul, and the pieces that you say, I trust you, Hashem. Y you know, y you're the ultimate wisdom, and this is where I trust and do it because you've told me it's right. Uh, if we lost prophecy when Avodah Zarah was lost. What did we lose when the sexual drive for incest was, was diminished? And, and what was the world like when that energy existed? So, um, A, it, just like the truth is, it's even hard to imagine what about Azura was. Be, it might be worth just giving the backdrop. Yeah. There was a okay. So, so Dimara says like this. Dimara says that after the first temple, it, 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 the Jewish people's great struggle during the from during the first temple was avodah idolatry. That if you if you look at Tanakh, that that was on and off, on and off. That that that, that was happening, and it was eventually <coughs> destroyed because of it. And it says after it was destroyed, they they, they were very depressed, and the Ansgar said. You know, we've been. What's the point of it? We're just going to any any time we're going to be helped. We're going to fall back again into it. They prayed, and God abolished the 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 drive towards uh, idolatry. Not, today, 
normal society doesn't have that drive. We can't even imagine what it, what it was. It seems like some sort of primitive um, it, it, it service. It, it, it's it's nobody can say that they have a real drive for it in any sense of the word. It exists in some parts of the world, and we look at it as a backward type of you know sort of a vestige of something, but nothing that would really invigorate anybody to to go run for it. It says that they tried to abolish the sexual drive. And what happened was the world stopped. People stopped getting married, animals stopped mating, and the world was just about going to die. So they, um, th they asked for it <coughs> back, but in a greatly attenuated form. So you can only imagine, like before, if what we have today is attenuated. <laughs> um, th th it, it, was, it was very, very weakened. And that was it. So it says specifically the drive for incest became greatly weakened. Um, so he's asking, so now, there's another piece. His, his questions are a bit complex. The, the, the next piece is, it says that there's a certain equilibrium, spiritual equilibrium between the drives we have and the positive um, revelations to counteract it. In a, in a world where people firmly believed in idols, there had to be a very strong manifestation of the spiritual, and prophecy was in place to sort of, uh, to, to sort of balance out. So I had this impulse for God, and I had this prophecy. Once idols became, became canceled, then prophecy had to become canceled. Um, uh, for a very simple reason, let's say atheism, if, if, if prophecy was still around, atheism could not survive. If I could tell you um, what's going to happen tomorrow and the day after, and I'm right 100% of the time, which is what a prophet had to be right 100% of the time, th th that would basically not allow for a denial of God. We could choose other gods, but that's not enough more. So that came to a cessation. So it says they were both balanced out. He's asking, so if something was weakened in terms of the Yetzirah of, of Arias, what spiritually was as well um, weakened, so to speak, for, you know, to sort of counterbalance it that we don't have both? So it doesn't say anywhere. I, I, I'm not aware of someone saying something. I, I would guess... And I'd like to offer a guess. And again, it's, it's just a guess because I, I, it's not foolish. These are type of things that you can't just say off the cuff. But but I would like to to bring out something which says, and and, and maybe that is some of the answer. The Zohar asks, why is it that it, it, the wise people did not get together and cancel the Yitzhakara Farais? I don't know how to Zohar. Tra yes, cancel means to stop. Thank you. The cancel the, the the drive and the craving for for relations for sexual relations. So the Zohar says I, I, again. I'm not sure how the Zohar deals with what it says in the Gemara, but the Zohar says because if there would not be that passionate drive then the thrill of learning would be gone as well, which is fascinating. I, I'm not 
I'm not a psychologist, but I know that libido includes more than just sexual drive. It's sort of a lust for life. It's, it's more. There's, there's something in a person who's driven, passionate, thrilled. Those are, so what the Zohar is saying is both of these areas sit on that nexus. In other words, the idea that a person struggles to conquer, the idea that a person has a thrill when he's mastered something, it comes from an area similar to it. And and therefore, and, and by the way, this was in the yeshiva world, in the Lithuanian yeshiva world, instead of speaking about how bad uh, all sorts of base drives and cravings are, a lot more focus was given on the thrill of learning. The, the passion in, in, a yesh, in, a, in a yeshiva that's, that's running well, there's a lot of heated debate, excitement, back and forth, sort of butting of horns. It, it, it sort of is a harnessing of a lot of those same drives to something else. So, so it's called chedvus of the shmeitzer, which means the thrill of learning, the, the joy of learning. That comes from place similar. It very well be that that's become somewhat attenuated. Again, I have no nothing to compare it to. But but if if I have a zohar that says that both of them sit on the same place, maybe that's something that's that's happened. That's that's what I that I'm hazarding a guess. But I, I don't know what it says before. I don't know if it says anywhere clearly. Uh, does does the Roshi Shiva think that if one goes into business instead of full time learning, should one uh, sh- should one work to make as much money as possible to help fund learning of others? Or is it, or is a more balanced life with work and learning preferred? So, first of all, um, a person needs to be honest with himself. I once had a conversation with somebody in yeshiva, and he said he thinks his his purpose in life is to take a lot of money and help yeshivas. I said, you know, it may be that Hashem has a mind for you that you should work hard in business and have a lot of struggle with honesty, integrity. And not make a lot of money, but but do tremendous things. It turns out, no, no, no. He says, no, no, no. He, he wants to make a lot of money, give a lot of charity. So, 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 so you need to ask yourself: Is is a if there's a person who works very hard to, and to make a lot of money and is is constantly taking from himself what he needs and everything else is is there for that? That's one question. Most people are a little bit. Uh, um, have a little bit of a distorted picture of real motives. Can a person say, do I need people to know that I'm wealthy? Do I need to live a fleshy lifestyle? Do I need to flaunt my money? Do I need to live much more than anybody else? An honest answer is most people want to live comfortable and, and, and well and also give charity. So, so the first question is being honest with yourself. Um, and if for the real answer, a person has to ask himself. So let's say a person is honest. Let's say a person is somebody who is doing that. A person has to ask himself: um, Is this something that I'm uniquely, uniquely suited for? Are there any motivations? Do I need the honor of everybody owing and owing about how much money I'm making? Do I have some issues in my own self-confidence that I'm trying to bolster because of it? These are the questions that a person needs to ask himself to know if he's giving himself an honest answer or not. So there are people whose, um, I, I know Reb Moshe Shapiro, there was a, a fellow who, um, he, he learned a short time, you know, he was, he was from a religious background, learned short time, was very eager to get into business, 
Um, he had some great opportunities, and the year after he was married, he was into full-time business, made a lot, a lot of money over many years. And then he had enough money, he could retire, sit and learn. And both of Moshe Shapiro and Nelson Svi told him, he asked them, can I retire and just sit and learn? And they said, well, at this stage, if you feel that your input and learning and output will be as great as what you're doing in business, then no one can tell you, you have to work and support me, you sit and learn. But if your output and input and learning will be okay, and in business you're very successful and helping a lot, this person is very dedicated to doing a lot, now, now, you have, now you've got to work. Mm. Um, so it really depends on being honest with yourself and then making an honest assessment. What's my place in life? Is it, I, I don't, can't be bothered to learn in that much and that's why I want to spend my day in the office? Is it because I find some, some gratification, some, some emotional gratification? So a lot of honesty in that. And once, if a person is really means the Shemayim, there is room for a person who's extremely successful, and this is what life's about. Yes, I mean many people who run institutions are busy raising money, twenty-four-seven to support the institution. That's where the time goes. It's it's drudge work. It's rough work. It's 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 uh, very very few. You know, you 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 take a lot of flack. You 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 face a lot. So yes, that type of a job is is you spending your time raising money. I think everyone will admit that that's l'shem shemayim, and that's correct for the person that this is what he's good at and this is his place. Yes. Uh, if the Jews are supposed to be the light unto the world and the ones who usher in redemption, why did Hashem shoot a small group of people and keep it small? And how, and how does the entire rest of the world have it so wrong? As a corollary. How should we understand the role of non-Jews in the world? I'd say this is three questions, but okay. Um, so the Kuzari really spells it out. And the Kuzari says, really mankind is mankind. Man is one, one item. Once man sinned, so a man, it was impossible for him to get back to where he should have been, a very spiritual being. And after many failed attempts, HaKadosh Baruch Hu took out um, one strain that could accomplish it, tried to develop it that they accomplish it, and they did, they become the leaders for others. So um, the, 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 the being a small group is almost by definition because you're trying to select people that have an affinity for, for what's spiritual, have the ability to, to, to accomplish it, and and they can be and and they can undertake the burden. Um, the 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 of the world is all of you matter. The tachlis is the purpose. The purpose of of it is everybody should should um, sh- should become what man is meant to be. Anyone created in the image is man. Do they have as a nation the ability to do it on their own? No. We're the ones that are setting the pace. And you know, it's like on the air, airplane, they say first grab the oxygen mask for yourself and then give it to, to people that are dependent on you. Beca- you know, because if you're going to faint, ain't nobody going to help the other kid. You, you've got to put it on first. We need to do what's right first, and then the world w- will, will take note. I mean, it, being a small group, it's like, it, it's like you, when you isolate a strain when you're breeding something, almost by definition, you're looking for a small subgroup. Because if it was fairly common, you wouldn't need the process. 
it, it's it's because what man was supposed to be had become diluted, had become lost, that it had to, it, it, you know, we, we had to be a small subgroup. If some of the stories in Chazal are to be taken as parable, as not literal, right. although being 12 kilometers tall, then how, how do we know that all the miracles are not uh, like the Ten Plagues or, or Mount Sinai? So th- this is a v- I- I- our our mesoris. How we understand things is Torah Shabbat itself, uh, the oral law, and this, the 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 Torah itself. We understand it must be understood literal, because if not, then first of all you have nothing left. Um, if, if if some people will say ten plays are not literal. I will say the commandment not to steal is not literal. You know, it's 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 sometimes it's wrong to steal, but but if greater good for society is being done, then stealing would be okay. I, 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 you you cannot you cannot give any meaningful instruction if you leave the interpretation up to every individual, because I assure you, we all will interpret everything in the best way possible when it comes to us. So, so it's certainly. Um, I was once. I had a. I was once in a cab, an Israeli cab, uh, and and the driver. Only an Israeli cab a driver talks to you. In American cabs, they never talk to you. They're they're drivers. In Israeli cab, they automatically are like chavrus as well. They usually don't in, don't know English. <laughs> That's also true, but the, neither does the Israeli one. But he still talks. It doesn't make a difference. <laughs> so he says to me, "Why did the Torah prohibit tattoos? I I don't see anything wrong with tattoos." So I'm hemming and hawing, and he says to me, you know, I did a lot of thinking about it, he said, the big, the big tattoos are really ugly, and I understand the Torah hates them. But the little, like, cherry-like ones, those are good, and there's no prohibition against it. So, okay, you know, so, so that's fine. He, you know, he, 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 he's done his interpretation to fit his taste, and that's, and that's fine. There's also, the Ikram says, the w- Torah is called Edus, Tesni. He said, in what sense is it called testimony? He says in the following sense. When two witnesses testify that someone killed somebody else and they are perjured, it's called Adam Zomimim, that they are shown to have testified falsely. It's not not easy. the, if you have two other witnesses against them, it's two against two, and, and it's a stalemate. But if two other witnesses came and they said, you were in a different place the same day with us, that nullifies the testimony, and they get the penalty that they were trying to give. So they would get killed. He said, so now imagine the witnesses, no, we didn't mean he killed him. We meant that he humiliated him, and humiliating is as bad as killing, so please humiliate us and let us go. So, so the testimony. So he says, no, testimony is taken literal. We tell the witnesses whatever you're saying is being taken as a literal truth, and that's how it's going to be dealt with. And that's that's we will deal by your say so. You know, to incriminate the other person, we're not going to say shut him, and we're also going to hold you liable for the little meaning of words. Torah is called edus testimony because the Torah the ch- is meant to be taken literal, and the Avanezah speaks about this, Sadiagon, only commentators mention this point, except for um, idioms like the hardness of your heart, I will excise the hardness of your heart, doesn't mean an operation to take out part of the heart, that's a, a, a metaphor, but you can't explain Torah as an allegory, 
so except for the, those those type of words, um, Torah cannot. That's part of Torah Shabbat that we cannot interpret it allegorically, which is not true of some of the, the, the prophecies the prophets had are all allegories, the, the, the scene that they saw. And in, 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 in the Gemara, s- some of it is allegory, some of it not clear what it is, some of it is, seems to be clearly literal. Uh, Judaism states that our mission on the earth is to study Torah and do mitzvahs, that we were commanded. What is the ultimate purpose of that endeavor? To ref- the, the, the refining of the person, one, so that the person becomes someone who can connect to God, in the big, big picture, um, and, and there are many ways to describe it. It's something which, depending on which angle you're looking at, but refining people and give and connecting them to God. In other words, man was a being created with a divine spark, estranged from God, with coming to God, so that that union of man and God is is the ultimate purpose of it. Um, it's, it the, the two things happen when we do Torah mitzvahs. We become people that can actually connect to God, and two, we have what to connect with. Those are the two purposes I I, I, I would describe in that. Uh, should you connect to Hashem more in learning Torah or in tefillah? How do you identify connection to Hashem while learning, and how does that connection throughout the day? So the first half ultimately depends on your personality. There, there are other ways besides Torah and Tefillah also. Some people... Tefillah for not, not, it, prayer. So it really depends on what receptor you have for connecting to God. For some people it's mind more than anything else. For some people it's emotion. For some people it's the sense of doing you know, people that are like helping people all the time, doing things, Hatzalah Chesed, all, all sorts of different um, active type of things. Some people in doing the mitzvahs very fastidiously. Different people have different avenues. That's their primary connection. Everybody needs a little bit of everything, but ultimately, will you connect? That's that's really the basis for the between Hasidim and non-Hasidim. Uh, Hasidim connected most. Closely to God, with prayer, singing, emotion, and the non-Hasidim um, felt that most of them felt that they would connect more strongly with learning and so on. So it really depends on the person. Um, no, no clear answer. Uh, do you have any good answers for working on sever paning gatos? You got it. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> translate. Uh, for tra- Seva Paramiyafos means it's a mission that says you should greet every person um, with a shining face, a, a, a pleasant face, and so on. Um, those those are um, <coughs> those are uh, some of the translations. Seva Paramiyafos will translate to a very pleasant greeting to somebody. You know, pleasant in terms of body language. Um, I guess thinking of the difference it makes to you as opposed in other words if you walk by have you walked by and somebody's giving you a very cold okay or hello or ignored you what did you feel like I think for most of us if, if we're not kind and decent people then work on something other than save upon me office that's not the first thing to work on 
But if you're a nice person, the understanding that making, that, con that um, conveying with your language, I am pleased to see you, I it's pleasant for me to see you, to be with you, is, is probably the most powerful message that could be sent. I was listening a, f a few a few months ago. They had they had a, a program for rabbis in the area by us, dealing with abused children, things of that nature. And Dr. Pelkowitz spoke. He's a big psychologist, a very very wise person. So uh, he he was speaking by a different angle of it, but he told of a story that he was somebody was delivering a talk. This is a person who came from a horrendously difficult family background. I think uh, something along the lines like one parent killing another parent, throwing him out of the house, uh, you know, fast home to fast home, uh, getting into drugs. Like, uh, really, th this, this lecturer had a really horrible background, and he was like an, a masterfully accomplished person. And he said, finally, I was sent to an institution, and somebody changed my life with four words. So everybody grabbed the notebook and <laughs> write those four words down. He says, don't write it down. Because the four words are not special. They were, how are you today? But the person who asked them really meant it. That was the difference. In other words, when you, when you face somebody, and every person wants to be noticed, every person wants to be wanted, every person wants to act. And, you know, saying, them, saying those things... You know, um, it, it's uh, it, it's it people discount it a bit. It's nice, but discount it. But w when you, when you project it, and if you think about it, if you put yourself in other people's shoes, and think about what they think and so on, it's it's very different. Uh, le let me tell you. I guess I'll tell you a story. It's printed. I wrote it up about my father's biography, but it's 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 a very meaningful story, and I'll repeat it. Um. My my father was a survivor of the war, Holocaust survivor, and he was an older person. He had a wife and children. They were killed in in Europe. He was a much older person when I was born, and um, he was actually extremely. He was a very wise, patient, kind teacher. I have only the you know I I know all the stories about children. Otherwise, well, my father was a super father in a grandfatherly way. You know I mean he had. I don't know if that was his nature, but that was, he was very, so he worked in, in a big synagogue. He was what they would call today an executive director. In those days they called it a shamish. Basically, he ran the place. Everything that had to be done, he did. He laned, he davened, he made sure that the, that, that place was clean in time for, for, for Shabbos. He made sure the dues were collected. You know, the, he ran the place. It was a very big shul, like one of these huge, it was a former church that had been converted to a shul and it was a big place. And one of the things, there was a, a, a boiler room, a steam room, um, where they had the boilers, and that it was warm there all the time. And occasionally a homeless person would come and kind of make it his home of some sort. And there was a homeless person there, and, you know, whatever, he I guess he was a bit deranged. I, I, I don't know what, I was a kid. And the kids would enjoy throwing in something in the room at him. He would come out and chase him. They would run all over the place. You know, they, they, they would have that type of... It's 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 sadistic, but you know it's a type of a kid type of stuff. I I I, I tagged along, and my father saw it. I was been eight years old at the time, and my father called me over and he says, "You see that homeless guy?" He said many years ago his mother gave birth to him, and she hugged him and she cooed at him and she thought he's cute, and his father dreamed that you know maybe 
he's going to accomplish what he didn't accomplish. And he had brothers and sisters that liked him, and they fought with him, and they had good time with him, and so on and so forth. And look what happened to him. A and you're only making it worse. You're destroying a human being. I remember I started crying. I, I mean, I was, and there was in that tone of voice, your hello to a person is, and, and you're noticing a person, and, and you're projecting warmth and pleasantness to a person is, is important, the most important thing you can do to a person. So if a person is kind and, um, and wants to do good, th the most basic good you can do is project that sense of, of, of uh, welcome and pleasantness. Is it harder to become a tzaddik with a good starting point, starting hand, i.e. the son of a Rosh Hashiva, or a bad starting hand, BT? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I thought it was the other way around. I thought it's much easier to become a tzaddik when you're BT than, than when you're son of a Shiva. I, I didn't... Uh, the answer is, wherever you start from, it has its challenges, and it's not only it has, it has challenges because of it, and, and Hashem put you in this world, He gave you talents, assets, and challenges. I, I, do, I do not think any one way is easier. Each way has its issues, its problems, and, uh, you know, I, 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 sometimes you, something sort of lands on you where you experience something like that, where people think the other person's starting position is better. Three Purims ago, I was sitting in Yeshiva. It was by the Suda, everybody was high already, and sort of uh, very pleasantly high. You know, as people were high, but nobody was crazy, and it was very nice. When the, when the rope says high, he means on alcohol. Yes, yes right, right, okay, thank, thank, thank you for translating for me. Next <laughs> And so one boy comes over to me. This boy is a, is a, is a type of boy that was sort of born with whatever it takes to be extremely successful in Shiva setting. Very bright, very focused, tremendous ability to, to, to pay attention, sit in one place, tremendously rotten to do good, and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, a very tough family situation. Um, the father was, was off the wall difficult person, really difficult, and th the children suffered a lot, and he included a very, very difficult situation. And he sits down next to me, really, he wasn't usually able to communicate, but he was high and, and, and alcohol. And, and, he, um, <laughs> and he sat down next to me, and he started saying, why did Hashem do this to me? Why can I be like every other person in this room who have a normal, happy family, normally this and that, on and on, and you know, why do I have to struggle with this and so forth? And he's talking. Next, on the other side, somebody plops down. This guy is very smart, wonderful family home, can't sit still for more than two minutes. Like one is off the wall, bouncing all over the place type of personalities. Great person, but just for him to sit a half hour in one place is like, wow. And he says to me, I don't know why this way. Why can I be like that guy? He, he, he's got it. He's just focused and sits down and, and doesn't take up his eyes and that. And it's like I'm hearing stereo. Why can I be like this guy? Why can I be like this guy? It's like one of those cartoons where each one is pointing the other one. And they were both unaware of each other, kind of. You know, they were both high. <laughs> and, and it was like, you know, finally I said, Rabbi, I said, 
I am telling you, nobody would want to trade place with anybody else. <laughs> I assure you. And and you know, both of them were, both of them had to do. You know, this one's ADD was really severe. This one's family situation was really severe. I mean, thank God, both of them have done very well over the years. Both of them have really, you know, overcome a lot of challenges. But but it was kind of surreal, you know, just just like getting a simultaneous message from both sides. Why can't it be like the other person? So 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 the answer is. Um, <coughs> there is no such thing. There are people that have come from all sorts of backgrounds that have done extremely well. There are people that have struggled a lot and people haven't done extremely well. So, so th the answer is there is no... Learning-wise, it might be difficult. If you start late, th then it's more difficult. But, but who knows what Hashem put you here for? Um, each one has, as, as you move along in life, you, you have what, what you're meant to do. How do you know you're davening with the right kavana? How do you improve your kavana? So, so real kavana focus in the words. In other words, it's it's not that you're thinking while you're davening about many things that relate to the davening. It, it's something that when you're davening, it's it's as if you speak to somebody focused as opposed to when you're talking on the phone, you're talking to somebody. Um, the difference is I understand what the words mean. It's just that my mind is not in the words. It takes some time to learn what the words mean. Yes, I know it's it's it, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a it takes time, but just like when you learn a language, you're much better off once you learn a minimum amount of words to use the words in conversation instead of mentally translating it, um, as opposed to sitting and mentally translating. If you keep sitting and mentally translating, it, it really it, it really kind of becomes. It's difficult. It's much better when you see a cat. You just say cat, and and you and you associate the the, pic, the thing with the word instead of cat is translated as chatula and, and and so on. So as you learn to daven, you learn the words. Just focusing on the words you're saying as you're saying them. That's kavana. And and if you do that, you'll see that it's an experience. It 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 feels different when when you're able to focus. Should we be reading secular works on non-technical topics? How to balance that with Torah learning? What setting? What do you mean? What? Uh, let's let's. Uh, I am just reading. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, l l so the value. So let's. And the question was like, says books on psychology or philosophy or anything that's not work related. So the answer. Uh, so reading has in itself a few elements. A, relaxation. People. Some people like to chill out with reading. They used to like chill out. I don't know if they still do, but in my days, people, reading was still something that was considered recreation, not work. So people like reading, and and um, that's fine. Again, in the, in the amount of time you allot yourself for taking it easy, there's a fair amount of time, person, you know, a reasonable amount of time. Two, it, within <coughs> that context, it, some people like reading just kind of a, a, a novel sort. Some people do like reading about things. But that's perfectly fine. For some people, it sort of broadens the sense of things that has value to it. So you need to fit it into a bigger picture of what's it giving me, what's it taking away from me, um, wh where I put into the day. It, it's um, you know, if if the things you're reading have problems, let's say stuff that's sexually arousing, which is not what to read, um, you need you need to to to, to clamp down on that and, and and not to read. If it's something that is just kind of nonsense, it doesn't, you know, just a pleasant novel without much to offer. So 
there's time. A person chills out. A person takes breaks. That's that's so that it's it, it has value within that and person that. If a person feels he gets absorbed, he can't get himself out. So he needs to to readjust with that. Um, if a thing offers insight, so it has value, and and a person you know once you'll get a sense of your learning and and so on and so forth, there'll be a sense of of, of what's valuable in that area. How does one retain and truly internalize the Torah they are learning? How do they bring it out into the world in a practical way? How do you know if you're applying the learning you're doing into the world? Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are two parts. To, there are a few parts to that question. First of all, retention of the learning. You know, it's a lot, listen, a learning is, is a really uphill battle. Language, skills knowing enough pieces so that, that you're familiar, it's not always a new world. There's a lot of technical stuff to get down, to practice, you practice a lot of times, read over a lot of times. There's no, there's no escaping that if you want to be really educated. Um, once you get past a certain point, the activity of learning itself becomes meaningful and it becomes something that you feel shapes you. And then looking around and seeing you may not do everything well, but at least understanding that you feel that if you know something and something's right, at least you feel that you ought to do it. You, you, you feel that amount, that, that's a minimal amount to say that the Torah you have is internalized, that, it, that you feel ought to be doing it, even if, even if you're falling short of doing it. What attributes and shared values in a shidduch lead to the happiest marriage? Marriages. So let's talk a little about this. I, I don't know what the official shidduch policy in Yeshiva is. If they, uh, I don't assume people here are doing shidduch now, or that's okay. not the. the we usually we ask guys to wait until somewhere a third of the way through the second year. Uh-huh. Um, so so uh, it, it, it's obviously something that should take a lot of time to discuss a bit, but, but the first thing is we, 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 there should be a total paradigm shift in what a marriage is. It, it's, um, we grow up, if we still have uh, an image of marriage as being positive when we're growing up, so it's kind of um, a this person and me we're always going to have a great time together. This is of all the people I can think of. This is, is this is somebody that I always have the best time and enjoy the most and think the person most attractive forever and ever. That's a kind of feeling that absolutely is an impossibility. That's not going to happen. It'll never happen. And you know, f- forget about it. That's where you're going. Two, there's a type of thing where I just fell madly in love and. Love is all and everything. Same thing. Uh, go back, you know, to, to one, the question one. There's no such thing. It's a fairy tales. They live heavily after, after but that's not, it, it's just not the real, it's not the reality. The reality is, um, it, it is an undertaking. It's something where Akarish Baruch Hu allowed two build people to partner and to build something incredibly big. Um, a new generation and the transfer of values and ideals to a generation who will, who's, who've increased the, the, the population of myself and my wife, and they in turn will increase and so on. That's what it's about. 
we're carrying on a legacy and a human legacy. And a human legacy can only be carried on by human beings. Stones and, and things, they you know, what are these time capsules that are buried are, are, are trivia. They're not, they're, they don't bring any legacy or carry legacy or nothing. So that means that I need a person that has core shared values, one. Two, people who have what it takes to live together with another person through thick and thin, which means common sense, a, a certain goodness, a, 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 an ability to be flexible and understand other person. By the way, it also means that you should be like that. I'm not only saying about the, the woman, it also means about you. If you, if you don't feel like you're that there, it's not going anyplace. Um, and then you want a person that you like. You know, uh, it, it's not, you're not doing it, you, you, you can't get married to somebody, it, it, it's not a charity case. You need to feel the person and you like each other. Liking is a very important part of it, but understand part of the bigger picture. So, um, so, so one, the understanding what marriage is, it's an undertaking. A, you become a different person when you have to compromise another person. You, you can tell people who haven't been married, you know, who are older people haven't been married, one of the, you can tell them, you can look at them and say, this person has never shared their life. They can be nice people, but, but there's something uncompromising and stiff about them. Just not, you know, it, it's brittle. There's no, there's no flexibility. Living with another person says, Lotov, it's not good for a man to be alone. There's no goodness in a person who's alone because everything's around me. And yes, it's, I find it annoying to have the window open at night, to have the window closed at night. But there's somebody else in, in, in the room who finds it likable. I have to learn to live with another person, which means myself and the perfect way I like things is not perfect. Um, I, I know there was an old man in our area, a wonderfully fine person who was dating, and it, it was like, um, she got married, but, but it was like, she, she must have ice cream, so if, if her husband is going to keep Chalvi Yisrael and she doesn't have her ice cream, so what's going to be? But uh, the, the problem is not Chalvi Yisrael, this, this kosher, that kosher. The problem is, if, 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 if that's what everything's hinging on, you, you you haven't stepped out of your box, and she hasn't. She hadn't. Thank God, she, she's married. Here, doing there's an adjustment period, but 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 it, part of it has to be the understanding that I change when I need to develop a common denominator with another person living together, and you'll never be the same. There's no such thing as being the same. Two, you would want somebody that. Um, is shares the values and ideals you have, and that's why waiting a while until you know exactly what those ideals and values are, are very important. A third of all, a person who has the skills, the coping skills for life, which I think the two important ones are a certain maturity and a, a, a slash wisdom and a, a goodness. A goodness meaning not a person who's doing chesed, a person who's an easier person, a person who's who, who, who can bend a bit and is flexible, and finally a person who's attractive, who's attractive to you. Um, There's the, the four things I could think of that are important elements of it. Um, you know, that's uh, and and it, 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 I, God willing, when you do decide to start dating and getting involved with him, I'm sure you'll have a lot of discussions with your abeim. It's an important piece. Um, a, a from lifestyle is extremely demanding. It's demanding on the husband because no matter how much money you make, there's never enough. 
you know, paying tuitions in America, um, they, they, you know, it, it's it's you'll end up spending uh, if you earn well, you'll end up spending a huge share of your income f for kedusha. Um, it's something you need to anticipate and need to understand. Baruch Hashem. Um, it for a woman. I mean, the newspapers have three months worth of what to do for Thanksgiving Day dinner. Every week there are three Thanksgiving Day dinners at home, you know. And, and you know, people have one kid every ten years. I don't want to say you can have ten kids every year, but but you know, <laughs> you know, under all circumstances, I mean, the families will be much larger. And most people here probably never saw a baby uh, growing up. Um, b babies keep you up all night. They have to be changed. They have to be fed. They're cranky. They they they, they come down with medical issues when you least want them to. They, you know, it, it's 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 a whole different life, and and it's demanding. It, it and if you understand, if you if you add it like an elite trooper. You know, going. In, in, he's not saying, "Oh, it's so tough to Green Beret." Wow, wow. What, what kind? It's crazy. I thought the elite unit gets put up in the best hotels with the nicest accommodations. No, the elite units are the guys who are in the desert in the jungle for for a month, living off the land. It, 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 the fact that we have families, we carry on vows and traditions. We have what to carry on. We 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 put that effort in. We're unique today. The, the word family has disappeared in America. It's not. It's no longer a word. It's it, alternative family means anything's a family. You can living yourself is also it's a solitary family. I'll, I'll find a word for it. It's a unitarian family. It's it's you know we'll we'll, we'll give it a name. It, it's it's um, it, 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 the, the idea that you have the commitment to another person, the commitment that you work and support the other person, even if you're both working, you still have commitment. The commitment that the other person's emotional needs, happiness, general welfare is your issue. The, the, the commitment that children <coughs> are yours to bring up and to raise and to care and 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 to uh, and to uh, put everything into it, um, those those are things that are a radical change and and they require a tremendous amount of work. I always say, half jokingly, that you know Balechuva sent the families for Shabbos to see the beauty of the Shabbos. That is wonderful. You should be sent Friday afternoon to see what it's like Friday <laughs> afternoon, yeah. and, 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 and you know, rolling up the sleeves and helping and everything, all of the kids and this and that. Yes, that's the, the, you know, it's our pride that we're. You asked about why there being so few Jews and so on. It, it, it's something, it, it, you know, it's something to be proud of. But but it's it's work. Since we are all reincarnated souls, do we marry the same shared soul multiple times through Jewish history? <laughs> what if we don't marry our Bashir? Will we be reincarnated to try to marry her the next time? What if we get divorced? Will we have to try again with her the next in the world? Well, oh, there were a lot of these questions. We're near the end of the list. You know, I, 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 I sorry. I just don't know. I'm hot. I don't. I don't not take it. Intermission. What? <laughs> so <laughs> there's a there's a phrase in the Gemara that I would like to teach you that will answer many many questions. I'll say the phrase and then we'll explain it. Lamainaf gemina. Lamainaf gemina means what's the difference? In other words, this whole the, the reason why this is a problematic area to touch is because it does not make one shred of a difference. Reincarnation is its an understanding that the world has another dimension. 
And that's why many of the things that we see that we don't understand, there's another dimension. It should never get past that. When you get to that, when I meet a young woman, I shouldn't try to figure out who my reincarnation, her reincarnation, and, and it makes no difference. You know, I'm a person, she's a person, let's go from here. The, the main reason we reincarnated was not to ask what was the previous reincarnation. The main reason is to ask what to do now. So all the stuff of reincarnation really, it shouldn't be part of, uh, let, 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 let me give you a muscle. In, in, in mathematics, infinity is a description of something basically that you can't handle mathematically. That's all it tells you. It tells you infinite means it cannot be part of an equation. It cannot be an answer to something. It cannot be integrated as a question. Infinity <coughs> means this goes on without end, and therefore we can't identify an end. But you can't make equations, really. I mean, equations that will give you anything meaningful. So reincarnation is the same thing. It, it's a meaningless, and, and people prey on this when they tell you who your incarnation was and who this and who that and who the other thing. Uh, you know, it, the healthiest thing and the wisest thing is to drop the whole thing because on a practical, it, it, all, the only importance it has is the world we see in front of us is part of a much bigger puzzle. That's about as important. W you know, w w reincarnation can be a part of a soul. It's an experience to have. I don't know. It's it's something that it's an it, all it is. It's it's another way of saying there's more to life than what greets our eyes. But you can't. It's like saying, how do I deal when I'm going out in a shidduch, and I use my understanding, my you know counselor's understanding, my rebbeim's understanding. How do I deal with the things that are beyond my understanding? And the answer is you don't. You're, you're davening that everything should be good, and that's it. So that's basically the answer to that one. That's the. <laughs> In the world of Maybe in the next reincarnation I'll come up with a better answer, but this one, <laughs> 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 you're stuck with this one. <laughs> the last, the last question. Two last question, I need to go, yeah. Two incarnations ago, you said it much better. Wait till the next one, wait till the next one. <laughs> the world to come, before we come into this world, are all the souls the same, or is there a division among Jewish and non-Jewish souls? Again. <laughs> let's let's talk about the practical part of it. What was in the other world, I don't know. What's in this world? A Jewish soul is defined almost as a tautology, as the soul of a person for whom Taryag, 613 mitzvahs are meaningful. In other words, the reason why Gentiles were not giving their mitzvahs, they're not meaningful for them. Seven mitzvahs is basically is, 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 is meaningful for anybody that needs to be considered human. We are fortunate that we have a soul that can handle many more mitzvahs. It, the, 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 um, it, it says that a ger uh, is somebody, the, the Ramam says a convert is somebody who had this affinity. That's why he was drawn to Judaism. That's why he, he was drawn to something more because that affinity was built in. But, and, and it's sort of a soul finding itself. So, so the answer is, um, a Jewish soul is a soul that has in itself um, a, 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 a potential for the realization of it, and therefore it needs it, and it can handle it, and it grows through it. The Gentiles don't ha need it, won't grow from it, can't handle it. And that's why the, 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 the story about the Torah, God went around different nations, asked each one, uh, they asked him, well, what's in it? And he told them something, they said, 
you know, that's, they can't handle that. That's, that's the point of that story over there. Okay, but uh, keep learning. It's a wonderful place. And, uh, That's really a secular shift. If the question is effectivity of, 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 you know, if you're talking about what's morally right, it's very hard to translate it because it'll never, it's not going to be exact. Um, I, I spoke about economics at the Tikva Foundation. They wanted economics by the Torah. I think they had an agenda to be sort of more like Republican or whatever it is. I said, I don't like it when you snap the piece. They don't snap in the different languages. It's, it's like the Chinese have, I think, five notes and we have seven or whatever it is. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't really play well. 
So I would say that's why not engaging, because it's a very common denominator. And, and unless a person is willing to accept certain axioms, then we're not talking the same language. We're not really with it. I don't know. So that's my feeling. So, so you don't feel like it's a negative thing to kind of disengage? Because it would take me, what you're saying is basically it's going to take me effort to try and understand that world, and that's effort I could spend learning about Torah or my business. So listen, if, if you are in that, if, if, if policy shows, but, but it's to me, I, I'm baffled because... You know, when you have a part of Democrat or Republican and to pin down what they believe in exactly is... Yeah. 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 Yeah.